want to ask a question this morning. How many of you have ever built your own house? Can I see you raise your hands? Okay. Um, if you've ever built a house, you know that there's a lot of work that goes into designing that house. It's not just, you know, you put up a few timbers, some plywood, pour cement, and that's it. There's details that have to be worked out to everyone's satisfaction. I worked a construction job before coming up here, and one of the first jobs I worked on was building a house. A uh, quick construction company down in Runnels, Iowa, deals mainly with commercial construction, but they on occasion do residential. And this time I got uh, put on a residential construction job. And it was just interesting to me, as I was brand new at it, had no clue what to do, seeing how a building, a house came together. And also seeing how it was specifically designed to fit different perspectives, to fit different uh, needs. This one house we were working on uh, was going to have a, a third bedroom in the upstairs for uh, a mother-in-law that would come stay with the family. And so there's different, these different construction uh, elements that were put into this house so that the family could have what they wanted, whether it be a big basement, a big family room, fireplace, whatever it might be. And so it was fun to work on that project and just see everything come together and also to see the design, the contractor's plans just fit into place or not fit into place, because we had several of those moments too. But you know, in, in, in constructing and designing a house, there's, there's always the end goal, isn't there? There's always these designs that are put into place so that the house can be built, and built to everyone's satisfaction and, and be livable. Well, just like there are plans, designs employed to construct a house, so God has a plan for you. And I would like us this morning to consider from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22, that we, all of us, should embrace God's design for us as a part of his church. Embrace God's design for us as part of his church. And some of you say, well, pastor, what, what has God designed for me? What has God designed for us? as a part of his church. Well, I'm glad you asked the question. I have, I have three components of that plan, that design this morning to show you from this passage of Scripture. The first one is that you have a place with him. Verse 19, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You have a place with him. Paul notes, as, as we talked about last time, that God has broken down this wall of hostility, making uh, those who were outside looking in no longer the case. We're now one. We have both Jews and Gentiles are together in the same family. And so he further elaborates on that for them by saying, you're no longer that foreigner, that person who's in there outside looking in. You're no longer a foreigner who does, who does not belong Again, extending from his discussion, he says, now therefore, this is the result of what God has done in Christ, making that new race of people. Here, here's the result of that. No more are you a stranger. The condition that the Gentiles had before, that we had before, outside looking in, is no longer a problem. It's no, nothing more that we need to worry about because it's been taken care of. Aren't you thankful for that? 
That's been taken care of. That has been re- resolved. There's, there's no effort on our part. It's been taken care of by God. Now, therefore, you are. You know your, your state of being verbs? Present tense. The idea here is to be in close connection with, to be current. Your status no longer is a foreigner or a stranger. You are no longer that person outside looking in, having no hope. Being strangers, it says in verse 12, from the covenants of promise, without God in the world. That's no longer your condition. He uses those terms again that we discussed back in verses uh, 12 and 13. Verse 12, actually. Strangers and foreigners. The word stranger here has the idea of an entity involved in an experience of unfamiliarity. Another way is saying alien. I guess the best way for me to illustrate this would be the idea of not fitting in or being in a place where you do not belong. I don't know if you've ever experienced that feeling, but you know that's not not the best feeling in the world, is it? You walk into a place, into a situation, and you just feel like, I just don't belong here. There's a, there's a part in, um, where we're living in Ankeny, Iowa. It's always funny to me when I refer to this. It's called the Talons of Tuscany. It's, it's this richer part of Ankeny with these beautiful buildings. First of all, it doesn't look anything like Italy. It's Iowa. Okay, I, just, for, I have no clue why they chose that name. Just Tuscany, you know, Iowa, just don't go together. Uh, nothing against it. Iowa's a great place. Just... Tuscany and Iowa just, just don't go together. But it, it's, it's a lot of these more fancier houses that you see, and they're, they're very beautiful to look at. And we've driven, we drove there, through there several times, and each time we're like, just don't belong here, do we? I mean, just feel like an outsider. You look at these fancy homes that are millions and millions of dollars, and you kind of feel like you're the, the outsider looking like, hey, that's nice, I better go this way because they'll just kick me out if I even try to come to the door. They just don't feel like you fit in when you walk through. Not, nothing wrong with those people, obviously, but just you don't feel like you fit in. And, and perhaps you've experienced that. Perhaps you can recall your, your high school years, just going into high school, and maybe you were trying to fit in to different groups. Kelsey's smiling because maybe she knows something about that. Uh, fitting in into high school was perhaps awkward for you, and you felt like you didn't fit in. Well, that's kind of the idea of the word stranger, not fitting in. Same word he's used back in verse 12. You have no rights or privileges. There's just something that you don't, uh, can't identify. He also uses the word again, foreigner. It means to be a resident foreigner, someone who lives in a country uh, on a more permanent basis. Paul, uh, this is used, the word is used three other times in the New Testament. It uh, just points to a permanent status of a stranger. First uh, Peter 2, verse 11 Peter uses the same word. He says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, that's the word foreigner there, abstain from fleshly lust which war against the soul. And again, a modern day illustration would be if you went to a country and applied for a visa, a residence visa in that country, like most of our missionaries do, uh, you are granted a visa to access that country, and you can live in that country for however long the visa says you can live there, but your rights and privileges are pretty much limited. Okay, you don't have the right to vote. You don't have the right to express uh, your public opinion because you're not a, you're not a natural-born citizen. You're an outsider. 
but that's no longer the case. And, and, and picture this, if you would, with me, of a Gentile who's living in Israel during the time of Christ, who perhaps converted to Judaism, had that affinity and love for God, but still had some limitations on his membership. But that same Gentile, some years later, comes to Christ and now long, no longer are those limitations on him. He has all the access in the world to God. Notice also, secondly, on this idea of you, you have a place with him. You belong to a new country overflowing with other believers. But fellow citizens with the saints. Here's the contrast. The word but showing a previous state but a different condition now. Now we are fellow citizens. This is the only time this word is used in the New Testament. And the idea is citizenship with. And so therefore, the citizenship comes with all the rights and privileges of belonging to a country. Uh, Paul uses this idea of citizenship in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly await, eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're all citizens of the United States in this room this morning. And we have the opportunity to, to vote and to do things that are a blessing of being in our country. But now we have a greater citizenship. As a result of Christ, we now have a greater country that we belong to. And aren't we thankful for that in these times? To belong to a country that is greater than the United States. And because of that, we have those rights those things that are involved, those things that are uh, privileges of being a citizen of heaven. We have access to God as, as, as the book of Hebrews talks about. We have our sins forgiven. We have a, the ability to be in relationship with each other. We have to uh, rest in God for all those things and what He has given to us. Notice also that this, this, this phrase is very interesting because it's interest, it conveys the idea of to be a citizen with. It's not just citizenship in and of itself, but a citizenship with others. It's the ability that we have to not only practice our citizenship, but show unity and peace with others who are the same. And here, the emphasis here is on the Gentiles being fellow citizens with the Jews. No longer are they separated. No longer are they distinct in their characteristics. No, it is a citizenship that is together. It is, it is solid. It is concrete. It is without parallel. And Paul points that we are fellow citizens, so there's no longer this distinction between Jews and Gentiles. It is one. There's no longer the identification of Jew and Gentile. But thirdly, notice at the end here, Paul mentions one last component of this plan. You have family to call your own. But fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. That word members 
has the idea of people who are related by kinship or circumstances, and therefore they form a close-knit group. Used only other three other times in the New Testament, it reflects membership in a family. And the word here is plural. It's not just member, it's members. So there's, there's multiple people in this family that have come to the family of God. It's not a select group, nor is it a special invitation, a secret invite that you can only get you know, you know, once a month and, and you have a slight window that you could get it and then it's over with until you have to wait till the next time. No, it's, it's, a, it's a, a membership of, of the family of God for everyone who comes. Which, as we've noted before, shows the love and grace of our God that He extends the call of salvation to everyone. Not just a few people. Not just the elite. Not just a few. It's to all who would accept that free gift of salvation. You have become part of God's family. Not only are they citizens of a new country, but now the Gentiles, look outside looking in, once foreigners and strangers, now belong to a family. If you, were, if you can picture them as, as, as being wandering, wandering people who have no home, they now have one. The family of God includes those who first were not designated to be part of that family. We talked about that last week. They were outside of God's promises, and they had no way to access those promises apart from some extra work on their part. And even then, after the conversion process, they still had some things that had to be taken care of. But now they have a family. And because of that work of Christ, it's possible. I don't know if you've, any of you are adopted in this room. I'm not. But I know several people who are, and I know several families that have gone through the adoption process. And you can see some videos on YouTube and, and other spots where um, the, the, the final papers are signed. The, the court has pronounced that however many children are being adopted are now part of, uh, of this new family. You see the joy that's on those people's faces especially the kids who, who, who have perhaps been in the foster system and adoption system for a long time and they are so excited to the point of tears to belong to a new family. Now again, I, I'm, for the most part, I think all of us in this room are, are, have not been adopted. But, but, but take that image of uh, an a adopted person, a child, boy or girl, placed in a new family, the joy that comes from that, the tears that are overflowing, to, to have a sense of belonging, of belonging. Take that, those emotions and that, that image and put yourself in that place and as referring yourself to God. Once being outside, but now you're inside. Once being not having a family, being wandering, no place, no home, but now being a part of his family. That is who we once were, but now we are not. We have this family. We have a place with him. Are you thankful you have a place with him this morning? That you have a home with him?
that regardless what goes on in our country today, regardless of what goes on in our world, you have a place with him. And that leads me to ask this question this morning. Are you living like a member of God's family? Are you living like a member of God's family? Ephesians 5.8 says this, For you were once darkness, but are now light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Are you and I living like Christ this morning? As members of His family? Or are we living like the world? Are we just going about our day, doing whatever we would have ourselves do, whatever we want to do, failing to heed God's warning, failing to obey Him, and then realizing at the end of the week, oops, I did this and this and this, I should have, and i got to go back to church and start all over again. Or are you, in your relationships, in your work, in your humdrum activities, are you living like a member of God's family? in the way you talk with each other, in the way you interact with people, in the way you process things that are going on, in the way that you talk to yourself, in the way that you think and act, are you living like a member of God's family? You are a member of God's family. I mean, there's no question of that. There's never been a time you confessed that you were a sinner, you accepted Christ's free gift of salvation, you are a member of his family. But there's also a responsibility to live out that membership To live out like you belong. And are you doing that? Or are you just satisfied to live status quo and not let anybody know that you're part of a greater family, a greater home that you have? Secondly, not only do you have a place with him, but secondly... You are part of his thriving temple. This is the second component of God's plan for us as his church. Look at verse 20 and 21 with me. Having been built on the foundation of the prophets, of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. You are part of his thriving temple. Know some things that Paul mentions about this temple, this building. It's built on those who first proclaimed Christ. The phrase having been built refers to delaying on something that's already been built. And the idea here is that God is adding to that building. God has started the building and he's adding to it. So God is, is intimately involved in this process. He's not just standing back and letting things go. No, he's, he's building on the foundation. He's building this, this great temple, this great building place, and he's involved in the work. Notice also as well that, that they're built upon a foundation. And the emphasis of that, that phrase foundation is shown to be that, the fel- that, that we can be fellow saints, we fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's family because we are built upon the foundational work of the apostles and prophets. That's the idea of the phrase foundation of the apostles and prophets. Uh, Jesus says in Matthew 16, 18, and I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The idea is that the apostles and prophets, and the prophets here would refer to 
the New Testament prophets. It's not the Old Testament prophets, primarily because the word order here is apostles and prophets. So what Paul is doing, and God is doing through Paul, is saying that the prophets of the New Testament who, who laid the foundation, who revealed God's will, encouraged the people of God, foretold certain events so the church can react appropriately, they are, were necessary. They laid the foundation, and you're being built upon that. The apostles ministered to, uh, in the beginning of the church and laid the foundation there, and now we are built upon that. And so we are built into, on those who first proclaimed Christ. We, we are continually being, emphas- being emphasized uh, and built upon that first foundation. Notice also with me that Christ directs the building of his church. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. That word being there, has the, again, has the idea to exist and shows that Jesus Christ is the foundation and it's designed to show that he is the one upon whom the apostles and prophets are founded. It's not on themselves. It's not on their work. It's upon the work of Christ. As we've emphasized these past several weeks in Ephesians, Christ is the one who's done the work. Not us. Not any super spiritual uh, individual. But it's Christ that has done the work. And so he is the one who, who directs that building. And we get that from the, that, the idea of the word cornerstone. Again, if you've constructed a building, you know that's important to lay the first stone in, in the right spot. Why? Because that means that everything else will line up with that and therefore be in correct order. This word also is used in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 6. We read it earlier this morning. Therefore, it is also contained in Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, And he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. So Christ is the chief cornerstone, and it is he alone. That's that's the idea there, another idea of the phrase. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. He alone is the guiding point of how the church is to be built. Not a pastor's opinion or truth. Not a denomination's uh, viewpoint. No, it is Christ alone who has the authority of how his church is to be built. Everyone has an opinion, but Christ has the final say. And we are built upon that foundation. He is the measuring stick by which the church, and by implication all believers, are aligned. As the church is being built up, she is lined up with Christ. Notice also that God is graciously fitting the pieces of his temple together perfectly. As, as Christ is building his church, as God is building it upon him and upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets and, and people are being added to this building, God's grace is involved in this effort. Being, and whom the whole building being fitted together. The word building here has the idea of structure or edifice. Here, here, here the phrase is the actual building itself. It's not the process of building, but it's the building itself. So here, here we've moved from talking about the foundation and Christ being the cornerstone to actually talking about the actual building. How, how is the active building, uh, going, the active building going on? How, how is this building constructed? Well, it's being fitted together. 
That word fitted together means to form a coherent entity. It means it's, it's structured so much that each stone is, and each piece of brick, whatever you want to call it, is fit perfectly. Now, nowadays, that, uh, that's not much of an issue because we have mortar. And as we build certain things, uh, we can fit it together because we put mortar in there. But back in the New Testament times, Old Testament times, they didn't have that luxury. And so they had to make precise cuts for everything so that when the, the building was constructed, each stone had to fit pit perfectly or else it was tossed out and another stone took its place. Why? Because they, didn't, they were not able to construct anything without having that perfect setting. So that one stone, if one stone was off, just not cut right, didn't fit together with the next one, it got tossed out and another one more perfect fit in its place. That's the idea here. The idea here is that God is perfectly cutting and fitting every piece of the building, you and I, together. And it's done by His grace. That, that's the, the construction of the phrase, being fitted together, shows God's grace in this. His grace enables the continual growth of the church. Again, we see God's grace, don't we? That God has been gracious to us, not in salvation, but God is also gracious to us in fitting us into His church perfectly. God doesn't make any mistakes. He is involved in that process of grace building, if you will. The apostle also continues on to point out that this, this being fitted together also expresses harmony and unity. You know, being perfectly fit together. If you have one piece of stone off, it's not going to fit very well with the rest of the stones, is it? It's going to be off. It's going to be, in some sense, hostile to the other stones. And, that, and it probably is bringing into picture, if you go back to verses 14 through 18, where we talked about last week, about this enmity, this hostility between Jews and Gentiles. So what to the point now where that hostility is not any more present. Because why? Because we're being fitted together perfectly into this new building. There's no longer conflict between us. We're being fitted together. And the, and the present tense of this, this verb also shows that this is an ongoing process. Meaning God is continually building His church. Throughout time. Lastly, from oops, um, lastly, from under this point, the building is continually growing into a place that God may inhabit. That's the end goal. The end goal is that God would dwell amongst His people. That grows into a holy temple in the Lord. End of verse twenty-one. The word "grow" or "is growing" means to become greater. The idea is that the church is a living organism and continually growing and developing. So God is continually developing and growing His church into that temple. The word temple here describes the dwelling place of God. It obviously brings up the Old Testament references of God's the temple being the dwelling place of God. But now, more importantly, the temple it refers to the church. The church is this growing, active growing organism that God is continually building upon so that He may dwell with them. 
But notice what this, this temple is. It's a holy temple. It's set apart for God's service. No other outside influence can claim control. So when we meet together as a church, when we engage in activities of a, as a church, we are doing it under Christ's authority and no one else's. No one else can come alongside and say, you know what, you, know, you need to do it this way. No, God says, no, you do it this way and, and don't listen to anybody else. I'm the only one you need to listen to. It pictures Revelation the end of Revelation, Revelation 21. God is making a dwelling place for him because this is the end goal for God. In the end, grand scheme of things, as, as it comes down to it, listen to what he says in Revelation 21, starting in verse 1. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. That's the end goal. That God would dwell with us. I mean, think about that. God would dwell with with us. I mean, the God of the universe, the divine being who created everything, who died on a cross to save us from our sins, he wants to live with you and me. And I know sometimes we get up and look in the morning and look at the mirror and we're like, really? I'm nothing special. I'm nothing magnificent. But God is growing his church, putting new believers in small pieces at a time, so that he might live with us. Isn't that amazing to think about? That God wants to live with you and me. That he wants to have fellowship with you and me. That he wants to be in harmony with you and me. As, as faulty and as struggling as we are, yet God has purposed that he will one day dwell with us and he's working on that even now. So it leads me to ask this question by way of application. Are you working to be in harmony with your fellow believers as Christ builds his church? Are you working at being fitted together? God has fit you in his church. God has fit you in the body perfectly with everybody else. And even though you may be surrounded by imperfect people, who struggle with their character, who struggle with their sins, are you working to be in harmony with them as perfectly fit pieces in his body? Or are you just trying to get along? Or are you, are you working at being in unity with, with other believers? Because let's, let's face it, some of the toughest people to get along with are fellow Christians. Let's just clear the air here. They are. But if they've come to that place of and faith in Christ and you've done the same thing, guess what? You're in the same building. You're in the same body. And both of you need to work at being unified with each other. Yes, you have your quirks. Yes, you have your idiosyncrasies. But yet, we're to work to be unified together. 
Are you doing that? Are you working as, as, as fit pieces in this building? Are you working to be in harmony with your fellow believers? So we've seen this, this design that God has for us as a part of his church. We have a place with him. You're a part of his thriving temple. And then lastly, you are his residence. We've, we've touched on this already, but here he explains it even more here in Ephesians chapter 2. Look at verse 22. In whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. God is making this place that he might live, and so the, the end goal again is his residence with us. This residence, notice also, is, is made up of all believers, and it's because of Christ. That phrase, uh, in the Lord, points to Christ being, being the, the, how the building is made up. It's made up in him, and it's made up of all of us, in whom you, the plural there. He gets personal with the Ephesians, Paul does. He's telling them that each one of them are personally involved in building this dwelling place for God. No one's left out. We're all involved, regardless of our status or location. Paul also notes that God is building this residence with every ethnicity possible. The are being built together phrase there, again, refers to a construction of various parts. And we are being noticed together. Here indicates that believers of all different stripes are being built together in this building. Different ages, different for lack of a better term, mental capacities, physical capacities, we are all being built together in the church. Jews and Gentiles together are being fitted together in this building. They're believers. God is doing the work. This is the church. And some of you might say, well, oof. you know, I don't like so-and-so, and you know, that other fellow sister, you know I mean, Really, pastor, that person, I have to get along with them. We're being built together in the church. Yeah. Just like a house. You know, all the details of the house have to be worked out. And, and guess what? When you're constructing a cow, house and you see something you want changed, you have the right to go in there as a homeowner and say, hey, I want that changed. I want it to, to make it more fit together. You initially thought that was the case when the original plans were laid out, but now you've come in and make changes so everything fits together. That's what God is doing. God is fitting everything. Our quirks, our idiosyncrasies, our tough mannerisms, God is taking all of that, both Jews and Gentiles, and making a new race of people. Notice also that this residence... <clears throat> is for God's personal living quarters. Dwelling place of God. I read early from, from uh, Revelation 21. But taking all of this into account, taking Revelation 21 into account, verses 3 and 4, the idea that this is God's tabernacle, God literally is going to pitch his tent with man, it is a dwelling place that is permanent. And it points to God's intention of forever being with his people. God wants to be with us, not just for a little period of time. God wants to be with us permanently. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine a world where God is walking around and you can see and talk with him? 
We got a little bit of a taste of that when Christ came to the earth the first time, right? Disciples, Jews, they got a taste of what, God, what it was like for God to walk among them. But in eternity, we will experience that full blast. That God dwells with us. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. How about you? Looking forward to, 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 to walking around in eternity and beholding God face to face. Being able to talk with him, being able to interact with him as he lives with us. Then lastly, this morning, this residence is facilitated by the Holy Spirit. That's the idea of that last phrase, in the Spirit. God dwells with the Spirit. This is how God dwells with the Spirit. So we, again, from Scripture, we know the Spirit indwells with us at salvation, and that literally is God with us. God dwells in us right now. But there's also this future aspect to it, that God dwells with us now, but that will be a, a re, more complete reality in the future. That God will dwell with us, and he has dwelt with us now, and he will dwell with us in the Spirit in the future. This also points to the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. He never goes away, and therefore salvation cannot be lost. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, Romans 8 9 says, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. The very presence of the Spirit in, in us shows that we belong to God, we are his, he lives in us, and that is a promise of a greater future reality. And that leads me to ask the point of application this morning. Are you living like God lives in you? And we we kind of kind of mentioned this earlier with the, the idea of the, the family aspect, the family application, but are you personally living like God lives in you? you know, God dwells in you through the presence of his spirit, and, and we could get all the, all the doctrinal things on that, but if God lives in me, that should change the way I live around others. That should change the way I live around my wife and her son. That should change the way I interact with people in, in our world today. We, unfortunately, you know, there's, there's a lot of angst, obviously, with the election and with the COVID stuff, and, and people can get really touchy. So how am I going to react to someone who gets mad at me for having my mask a little lower because I need to breathe a little bit? Am I going to lash out at them and say, mind your own business? Or am I going to act as God would have me to act and say, you know, I'm sorry, I was just trying to get a little breath, I'll put it back up. We all need to live like God lives in us, but the question is, are we? Are we letting God, as he makes this, this temporary resonance in us more permanent as time goes on, to that big, big, big uh, end, end scene in eternity, are we living like God lives in us? You and I are a part of God's grand design for the church. I hope we've seen that this morning. That regardless of how we feel or who we are, we need to embrace that design. God has put you in his church for a reason. You have a place with him. That is his design for you. You're a part of his family. You're a dwelling place for him. He's building you up together with other believers to be a dwelling place for him. And you are his residence. 
we all have a part to play as he continues to build this building, this, this great building called the church. Let's enthusiastically be involved in those plans as we look forward to that one day when he will dwell with us forever.